Welcome, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Happy Side of Neutral. I'm excited to have you back on this journey with me trying to discover how to find balance and live a happy life. Today, I have with me Corey Zengabat. Corey is an architect and urban designer. She's worked in both government and the private sector at organizations like Util and Graffito, all with the lens of making Boston a more livable city for everyone. She's also a design critic in architecture at Harvard Graduate School of Design, and I know Corey from her time at the City of Boston Planning and Development Agency, where she was one of those creative, outside-the-box thinkers that I gravitated to. But today, we're going to flip the script, and Corey will mostly be interviewing me. Corey's recently decided to take a sabbatical of her own. We got to talking about the value of taking this time and how to make the best use of it. We're in a unique moment where many people are feeling burnt out, overworked, or just realizing they want to make a change. We thought this conversation might be useful to others thinking about taking a moment to reset and re-energize before launching into something new. Welcome, Corey. I'm so glad to have you here in my basement studio. It's wonderful <laughs> to be here. And For those of you listening, it's incredibly well-designed and well-thought-out, so I wish that others had the view that I currently have. <laughs> well, you helped me think about the design of this space back when it was just... An unfinished basement. Yes, unfinished basement. Yeah, I will take some credit for that, but <laughs> not too much. Um, but no, it's great to see the project come to fruition and now be born as your podcast studio. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I'm just really excited to have you here talking specifically about sabbaticals. You are launching into one yourself. Yeah, I'm about four months in. So you're, I think, 10 months, nine yeah, months. Nine months, maybe. Yeah, just still enough time to gestate a child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, Or a whole I, bunch of ideas. And I think that I was just mentioning to you a moment ago, you were part of you know the inspiration for my taking a sabbatical. Mm. And I think that there are lessons that you can share with others, including myself, about how you approach this time and also how you're re-entering the workforce now. Well, I'm really thrilled to have you here chatting with me about it. I love to ask people a few questions about balance, even though you're here to ask me about Shoot. other things. Yeah. <laughs> so first, what do you do purely for the joy of it? I do a lot of things for the joy of it. I have two small children. They are almost four and almost six. And so a lot of the joy in my house comes from just spending time with my kids, dance parties, bike rides, doing random creative projects. I would say that is a constant source of joy. But for me personally, exercise and spend time with friends is what's bringing me a lot of joy. That and I also just really love to look at real estate listings. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And tell us a little bit about what drives you. Why do you do the work you do? Well, you know, I think that as we age, what you do or what you want to do evolves. So I would say it's not a fixed answer that I give now. It would be the same answer that I would give when I was starting out in my 20s. But I think I've come to fundamentally understand that my project is the project of the city. So I'm very inspired by and moved by urban environments and thinking about how you make cities work and how the street has vibrancy and different people can come together and share in a collective space. So how would you define balance? You know, I've been listening to your podcast, I confess, and I don't know that I really have ever sought balance. Hmm. I think that I do relish a little bit of imbalance 
sort of has kept me on my toes over the years. And I like sometimes when you're pushed to extremes. I think for me, it's less about finding balance and more about finding my mojo. When the pandemic began, my kids were one and a half and three and a half. And so it's just been a lot over the past couple of years. And my daughter said to me at one point recently, you know, mommy, why don't you laugh anymore? Mm. And I just thought, oh my goodness, I failed. But I think she makes a valid point, which is that I used to be funny. (laughs) Look at me using past tense. I am funny. (laughs) And I am smart. There are all these things that I am capable of. And I just feel like because of the pandemic, it's hard to, I think, realize your full potential. Yeah, that resonates with me a lot. I remember early on in the pandemic, There were moments of joy. I got to see my daughter's first steps because she wasn't in daycare. She was home. And I remember feeling happy, but then almost holding it back because there's so much hard stuff going on in the world. You feel like you shouldn't be happy or you shouldn't express joy when there's so much angst and trauma and terrible things going on in the world. But I think we can hold both. We we need to. (laughs) We have to. It's the survival mechanism. (laughs) Yeah. So that's part of why you're taking a sabbatical is to figure out how to bring those things back into your life. I think that like many people too, I need a break. And, you know, I'm not sure that We all are meant to do just one thing throughout the course of our career. You know, one book that I've recommended to you is Range, How Mm -hmm. Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And so I do think that I'm trying to use this time to explore what some other possibilities might be. I think that it's very possible that I will have a slightly different trajectory during this next chapter. Mm. But we'll see. So, Marcy, I think a lot of people who've been listening to your podcast want to know why you decided to take the sabbatical and also the very deliberate choice of the word sabbatical. I know this is Mm -hmm. something that you and I have spoken about. For me, similar to what you were saying, I needed a break, for one. I needed a reset to rediscover why I'm doing what I'm doing. This organization in Detroit called Sevilla. They have this term for it called finding their no matter what. (laughs) And I sort of had lost my mission or my vision. Like, why am I doing the work that I'm doing? Which is one of the reasons I ask everybody that. Yeah. You know, and I'm always amazed how well people can articulate why they do their work. And I had lost direction. So that's one reason is to rediscover that. But the other is, of course, the premise of this podcast. How do I, when I find that why not burn out again. It's something that's happened to me a couple times in my life. So I know it's not just the pandemic that has created that dynamic. So what things, what practices, strategies can I put in place that will help me to accomplish the work I want to accomplish, be excited about that work, but do it in a way that I'm still happy and healthy and prioritizing my mental health? Yeah. I mean, I think the word sabbatical implies that it's an intellectual project, which I think is what you've just described. And so I think that's why that word is more powerful than saying you're taking a break or you're taking some time off, because there's a clear intellectual component to it. And I think the reason why I like the term sabbatical is that it implies a return. Mm. There is a sort of typical time frame for a sabbatical when you're referencing academia. And I think that a time frame was something that you were also thinking about when you decided to take yours. Could you talk a little bit about that? 
I think calling it a sabbatical has made it feel like I can prioritize this time differently. I can treat it like a job. It's work. I have to spend time really diving into my thinking wrestling with these questions, which is what you think of in academia when somebody is taking a sabbatical. They have certain things they're exploring. And that really made it easier to talk to people. This isn't about what other people think, but it has made it easier for me to allow myself this time. How much time have you said that you're planning Mm -hmm. to take for your sabbatical? Well, it did evolve. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was more of I had some things I wanted to accomplish, and I thought that it would take three months. And that turned out not to be true. Yes. (laughs) So, As is often the case, things take more time. They take so much more time. And so I wanted to accomplish these things I just laid out, this own personal journey of learning. And I found that the first three months was actually just me figuring out how to heal and be healthy again. So my first three months, I was simply asking myself questions like, What does it mean to be happy? What is joy? And then would wake up in the morning and just be like, what can I do today to be joyful? What will make me the happiest today? I went on hikes. I went to the Whites with my dad, which was really special. I went to museums, spent time at the ICA. I did a lot of gardening, was outside a lot, and just rediscovered what makes me happy. That's wonderful. I think you and I spoke, too, about how you were thinking about time over a long time horizon, but also some shorter ones. Mm -hmm. So to be more specific, I think you were looking at initially three months, like you say, but that has now expanded to be more like a year. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Although you are dipping your toe in, and I I think we're going to talk about that in a bit. But you also talked about how you structure your day. Mm -hmm. And now, retrospectively, you've sort of chunked these different periods in your sabbatical. And you just mentioned the first three months being really more about healing and taking care of yourself and rest and rediscovering some of the joys that had been lost to you, I think, when you became a parent or Mm -hmm. when your job became so demanding. But can you talk about subsequent to those initial months, how were you then spending your time and how did you really focus yourself on, for example, this podcast? Mm -hmm. And I do want to mention that you have a whiteboard in your (laughs) office, which I wanted to talk about that exercise because I found it really interesting. Yeah. So there was that first three months, there was an accidental second three months that was COVID parenting, (laughs) which, you know, can't be predicted in this time. I was really glad I had the time off, but it was just One thing after another, quarantine, followed by quarantine, followed by getting COVID, followed by school closures. The kids were only in school 30% of the time. So I was ready. In the three-month period. In the three-month period. So when I finally got into a space where I could get into what I'm calling sabbatical mode, I started with really intense self-discovery where I really thought about where have I been? And so this is what you were getting to with the map. I took my full wall whiteboard drew a line that was supposed to represent the last four decades and mapped out everything I could think of. People that have been meaningful to me, hardships that I've experienced, things that I've learned, places I've been, mapped it all out, and then stood back and said, okay, what are some key themes here from each of the decades? I was surprised to find that I did not want to go back to some of the (laughs) prior decades where I was really lost and confused and realizing that this next decade going into my 40s is actually going to be a great 
opportunity where I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I've experienced some great things and I'm ready to tackle whatever's next. Just give an example. What was an activity that you really enjoyed, say, pre-children um, mm-hmm. that you kind of lost sight of that you're now rediscovering? Yes, that's right. One is music. I had realized that up until college, I had really enjoyed music. I studied voice. I had traveled in choirs. It had been a big part of my life growing up. And for some reason, it just fell off the map. Another was being outdoors and hiking, camping. A lot of that kind of adventure play had just disappeared. Yeah. So since we're on the subject with time, you've been doing this for a while, but as you embarked on this, you did reach out to folks for pieces of advice. I'm curious if you could share some of that advice and what you think has been most useful or perhaps not as useful. I found talking to people about their own experiences with sabbaticals or any kind of time off to be incredibly useful. I talked to an architect named Christine Dunn about her time. She took a year off between jobs, and she gave me interesting advice I wasn't expecting. And and she said, allow yourself the freedom to do nothing, just nothing. And I was coming from a world where I was hyper-planned and organized. Every minute of my day was scheduled And in fact, when I met with her, I had like three different Trello boards about how I was going to play that day, what I was going to do for fun. (laughs) Like, I had a gardening (laughs) one. I had like a fun activities one. It was like way too organized. Yeah. And that gave me the freedom for that first three months to just do nothing and allow myself that spontaneity to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. I also talked to Yasha Franklin Dodge, who I knew from the city And he had taken a little time between jobs as well. He said to do something that you can't do when you have a nine to five. And for him, that was woodworking classes and traveling. But for me, that became different things, classes I could take, trying to use the time the best I could during the daytime with things that I couldn't have done when I had a job full time. And then the third piece of advice I got that was really influential was from John Peterson, who's the Loeb Fellow curator. I'd actually almost been a Loeb Fellow. I was a finalist, but it didn't happen. I remember. (laughs) It was very heartbreaking. I remember that too. (laughs) But he gave me some really great advice. I just asked him, you spend all this time with people who are on a year long, basically a sabbatical is what the program is. And he said, don't try to answer your questions head on. Do some tangential project and you'll find your way there. And that is actually how this podcast came to be. I was trying to understand this work-life balance piece. And instead of just sitting here twiddling my thumbs and saying, what is work-life balance? (laughs) I was able to talk to people, spend time really thinking with them about this work. And I'm finding my way to an answer that works for me rather than just trying to tackle that head on. And I think what's so profound about that is that you've decided to share these conversations with everybody. You know, I think a lot of people who decide to take time off or a sabbatical, 
they do go through a similar exercise of talking to people, but those are typically private conversations. And so this act of recording them and sharing resources and perspectives, I think is really sort of extraordinary. Also, the podcast studio that you've created in your basement (laughs) just shows how committed you are to the exercise. I can't take full credit for that. My husband loves recording, so he's created these crazy sound panels, which we also call space taker uppers. I'm glad you mentioned your husband, because I think probably an important thing to talk about for people who are considering taking time off is how you bring your partner along with you on this journey and how you get their support. And maybe you don't need to get it. Maybe, you know, it's already been offered up, but maybe just making them understand what your goals or objectives are. I know personally that my husband has been incredibly supportive. He was the one that suggested or Mm. rather had sort of an intervention to suggest that I take some time off. But I think that if you're by yourself, it's a different sort of negotiation than if you have a partner or a family. Yeah, we had to really think about if we could make this work financially, what kind of sabbatical I could take. You know, I couldn't just up and leave for Europe. But he's been incredibly supportive. In fact, sometimes almost too supportive. He's uh, resisting me going back to work a little bit. (laughs) It has been really nice to have one parent home. And now you are thinking, though, of returning to the workforce. Maybe you could talk about where you are in your sabbatical journey and um, how you're thinking about reentering consultancy or maybe potentially a full-time job in the future. Sure. So after I did this exploration of where I had been, then I looked forward and said, where do I want to be? I did this interesting exercise. I heard about it from that group Sevilla I was mentioning in Detroit called 10313. And I added another 10. I'll explain explain what I mean. (laughs) So you look ahead 10 years and you say, where do I want to be in 10 years? And Hmm. you map that out. And then you say, okay, three years from now. And you can get more specific with three years than you can with 10. With 10, it's just a really broad vision. And then you get even more specific and you say, okay, in one year, where do I want to be? And that really gets into some more granularity. You take that and you go even deeper and you say, okay, in the next three months, what do I want to do to get to that place one year from now? And then what I did from there is I said, okay, in 10 days, (laughs) what tasks do I need to accomplish to make sure those three-month goals happened? And that's actually how I mapped out that three months of sabbatical mode. I worked backwards from 10 years. And then I got to this space where I was like, in this three months of sabbatical, which is what I had for runway, looking at my finances, I said, what do I want to do? And I came up with four different goals. This podcast was one of them. Another was diving into some introspection around anti-racism, which had been something I was wrestling with and wanting to know more about and do more about. Diving into a work topic around human-centered design, which is something I'd worked with but had never really been trained in. And then finally, trying to write an original piece of music, (laughs) which I haven't actually accomplished, but it has been a worthwhile task to set my mind to. You have connected to a vocal Mm -hmm. coach and you have sort of rediscovered 
um, music, yeah. uh, which is one of your passions. I mean, that is pretty amazing set of goals. And I think what's even more inspiring is that you've managed to maybe not complete them entirely, but you're well on your way. Yeah. Uh, this is, we should mention, the penultimate mm-hmm. um, episode of The Happy Side of Neutral. So I think there's only one episode remaining, um, mm-hmm. at least for this season. Yeah. TBD, whether or not there will be future seasons. Yeah. It's been a great three months in diving into each of these things. And it's been interesting. I thought of them as separate, really distinct goals, but they've actually bled into each other. One example would be that I was doing this introspection on anti-racism, but then I'm also learning about human-centered design. And I'm putting these two together and I'm saying, okay, well, if we're going to go talk to people, which is what human-centered design is about, if we're going to talk to people and get their thoughts and opinions, if we're just getting kind of a quick touch point, that's not really going to work towards our goals of anti-racism. What would really be truly groundbreaking is to bring people along through the entire process. I heard a talk by Victor Udoa, Mm -hmm. and he said that radical participatory design is when you have the user or the participant as the researcher. They're Mm -hmm. part of the planning team. And that really inspired me. And I think if I wasn't diving into these two spaces, I wouldn't have put those things together. And that's kind of created a new direction. Yeah, I think everything's connected. Mm -hmm. So I think it is very ambitious to think that you're going to tackle one of these issues during a particular time frame, but Mm -hmm. nearly impossible to execute. I do think that I've tried to emulate, I think, your structure, but just for those listening, I will say I'm four months into this, and when I began, I thought, okay, Marcy, she told me the first three months is all about (laughs) self-care, and here I am on month four, and I still don't really have much of a structure to my day, I'll be honest. I mean, I could decide that day because the weather is beautiful, I'm going to go for a long bike ride, Mm -hmm. or, you know, my daughter has to get picked up early because of X, Y, or Z reason. And then my day goes off in a totally different direction. So I really just kind of embraced the spontaneity a little Mm. bit rather than try to be so rigid. I think that that will eventually get old. Mm -hmm. But for the time being, I'm kind of luxuriating in not really having a plan. Well, I think that gets to a point that it really depends on what your goals are at the outset and also how much time you have. Some people may only get a month, so they won't have the luxury of spending the entire time in that kind of space unless that was their whole goal. Right. But it's really an individual process. So not comparing yourself to someone else and just saying, am I getting out of this what I need? Well, I look back at this time and feel like I did what I needed to do. I think what complicates things, too, is that we are living in the time of COVID. It is a weird time to be alive. And what you think might be achievable within sort of a normal time frame isn't inevitably impacted by just the events of the world and not just COVID. There is obviously a lot of racial unrest in this country, Mm -hmm. globally overseas. There's horrible things happening. It is a challenging moment for the world. So Marcy, since you are now about 10 months into this, as we've established, maybe you could share with everyone, what are the important things you've learned so far? Well, learning is ongoing. (laughs) Always. I always say our greatest asset is our ability to learn. Mm, Absolutely. But I think there are some things that have become clear, even 
rudimentary ideas here. I mean, one is the importance of valuing your own happiness. Before I took this time, I was prioritizing everybody else's happiness before my own. And that just leaves you sort of dead inside. Yeah. (laughs) And when you prioritize your own happiness, I'm finding that I have more to give to everybody else. That's what I'm they hoping. say. Yeah. Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody right. happy. Right. I mean, it's very easy for me to say that when I'm not doing a whole lot of things. So the challenge will be, can I hold on to the things that bring me joy and my own sense of balance? Can I hold on to that as I start to bring work into the fold? I think another piece of learning for me, we were just kind of talking about this, how every time you're learning something, it branches off new ideas and new ways of thinking into other things you're trying to do. You know, a really interesting thing about this was with voice lessons. Mm -hmm. So I was tackling that to bring music back into my life. But I would find these like little analogies that were so powerful Every time I'm having a voice lesson. So give an example. So one example is my vocal coach, Natalia, who you heard in the podcast. She says to me, when I'm doing a hard high note that's really challenging for me and my voice is cracking and I'm embarrassed. And she says, tackle that with confidence. Come into it like you own that note. And then miraculously, I can sing it perfectly. And what a great analogy to how we live our lives. Yes. If you can walk into whatever it is you're nervous about or scared or anxious, walk into it with confidence like you own it, and then it all goes well. And there was just an analogy like that every day. (laughs) So it's interesting when we're learning something new, how it can transfer into other areas of our life. And then I think my third lesson that was sort of unexpected was to find my voice again. Now, this isn't something I described as what I was trying to get out of my sabbatical. But at one point, my husband turned to me and he was like, why don't you have a voice anymore? Where did it go? And this was in relation to I was volunteering at this event where we were serving lunch and I came home starving. And he was like, weren't you serving lunch? Couldn't you have just eaten there? And I was like, oh, well, I don't know. I didn't I didn't want to ask. I was a little nervous. I'd never been there before. And that's when he was like, where's your voice? Yeah. Why can't you just ask for what you need? And I realized that, of course, this is a silly example, but that was what was happening all over the place in my life. I had lost the ability to ask for what I need. And you don't feel like that's the case anymore. No, I think this podcast, surprisingly, has reminded me that I have things to say. Well, you literally have a voice, right? (laughs) Right. I literally have a voice. When I share a story or something personal to me, when I'm vulnerable, that it opens up opportunities to hear what other people are going through. And so it's important to share what we have to say. So it's just reminded me and given me that confidence to be myself, to share my own thoughts in a way that I had not even realized I'd lost. Yeah, I think that's what I mean a little bit too when I say about finding my mojo again, Mm -hmm. finding my voice. I think it's akin also to being in flow, which is something that gets talked about, where you just feel like you're firing on all cylinders and how you're acting is sort of a direct reflection of what you're thinking and how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think, because of circumstances beyond anybody's control, I think for a lot of people, not just women, feel that they might not be firing on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. 
So now you are very, very slowly dipping your toe in Mm -hmm. the waters, the professional waters. Once again, you have not jumped into a full-time gig quite yet, but you have been exploring some consultant opportunities. Maybe you could talk a little bit about why you're starting there and, you know, what you're hoping to get out of it. Yeah. Well, it sort of happened by accident. Uh, Someone I knew from my previous work reached out and knew that I was available and said, hey, do you want to work on a project? And so I was like, sure, let's try this. (laughs) And that was in the fall. But then she came around with another opportunity. And this time it was really just a perfect fit for the direction that I had mapped out where I want to go in the next 10 and three years in one year. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting about trying it on in this pathway is that it's a test. It's an experiment or a prototype. And that gets back to one of those books I was referencing early on, Design Your Life, where they really encourage you to test something out before you take a full-time job or you commit to it 100%. So it started with this one opportunity, and now it's led to another opportunity. So I'm trying these different things. I can see what kind of teams I like to work with. I can see what kind of tasks best get me in that flow state that we were just talking about. And what's also interesting is, although I mapped out this 10-year plan, I don't really have a crystal clear idea of what that is. There's a lot of possible pathways. Right. And this gives me an opportunity to try them out. Right. There's no one future. There are many possible futures. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's interesting is that We knew each other when we worked at the city together, and the way I knew you was as a prototyper, because you were the director of the iLab, and I think that your directive, in fact, was to prototype different Mm -hmm. policies and ideas to try them out first before implementing them as full-blown policy. So I think that this is very interesting now. You're prototyping your return to work now. You're trying it on first before you commit fully. It's really a good way to do it. Now, I should also say it's terrifying. (laughs) Right. You're scoping out these projects. You have to go in with confidence. Like I was just saying, they feel like that high note. Can I really reach that goal, that note I want to hit? Right. You can't second guess yourself. Mm -hmm. You can't be wishy-washy. Yep. But you got to go in with confidence and then you'll nail it. (laughs) Exactly. So, Corey, I've just talked about the experience I've had, but... I'm really curious where you're headed with this experience. You talked so a little <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> You talked a little about what you're hoping to get out of it, but do you have any thoughts about what else you want to do at this time? That is an excellent question. I mean, my short-term goal is to enjoy summer in New England. I always say New England is magical in the summertime. So, while that's not necessarily getting something out of it, I do think that I've been working essentially nonstop for 20 years. And so my focus has been recently very selfishly on reconnecting with friends whom I haven't seen in a really long time. And that includes taking trips to see friends out of town. I mean, that's in line with the what can you do now that you don't have a nine to five, right? right? So I've been taking trips and I have been spending a lot of time exercising. And really, it's been focused kind of on me and both social and physical. And that's bringing me a lot of joy these days without any real specific agenda other Mm -hmm. than just enjoy my time with my family, see my friends, exercise and eat healthy. I'd add to that. Mm -hmm. And that's my plan through the summer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think come fall, there's an energy 
in Boston that is very perceptible. September is my favorite month because the air is cool and the earth is warm, but it's also the moment when all the students return Mm -hmm. and there's just this energy in the city that Mm -hmm. I think is remarkable. So I'm imagining that is the moment when I think I will start to reflect on the time that I've spent thus far Mm -hmm. and then also look to the future, as you were saying, about what the next phase holds. Anything else that you're hoping to get from the time? I do want to emphasize that it's been really hard for many people the past couple of years living through this pandemic. And when I tell people that I'm taking this time, a very common reaction is, oh, I'm so jealous. I really Mm -hmm. wish that I could take some time for myself as well. I just am not sure that I have anything left. And there seems to be this overwhelming need to just take a pause from the news, from the sort of nonstop work, which has now infiltrated people's homes. And I don't really know what the solution is, but I just feel extraordinarily privileged and blessed to be able to take some time to recalibrate and feel fairly confident that when I emerge, I will be re-energized and ready to re-engage. Yeah, you're making me think of how terrifying it was to take this step. But once you're in it, you can see the value add it'll have. You're taking a step back, but a leap forward. So you have to have that confidence that the time will yield multiple returns and get you into that next space you want to be in. Since there are so many people having this experience where they really need that space and that time, I thought it might be good to just talk a little bit about just practicality. Mm -hmm. How do you do this? How do you take that time? There's so many different ways to do it. If you're lucky enough to be in a space that offers a sabbatical, take it. (laughs) Absolutely. I have friends, actually, that do work for organizations that allow sabbaticals, Mm. and they hadn't taken it in Mm. so many years. And I had one friend that finally took it, and her immediate reaction was, I don't know why I waited so long. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that opportunity, I know a lot of people who have taken breaks between things. So get that next job lined up, but then don't start until there's a month gap or two month gap. Give yourself a break between them, if at all possible. What's nice about that kind of a break is you don't have to worry about what's next and you can just totally focus on what you want to learn and how you want to grow in that time. Yeah, I think what's also key is that we have supportive partners. We also have partners that Mm -hmm. provide health insurance for our families so we don't have to worry about if we need to go to the doctor, how is that going to be paid for? So very important, straightforward things we're obviously dealing with by having our spouses provide that. Totally. And I also spend time at the beginning thinking about what my burn rate is. Yeah. <laughs> I only know that term from watching Silicon Valley, but <laughs> but looking at how much money you have saved up and thinking about how far, if you think about your monthly expenses, how far can you stretch that? For me, that gave me a good runway of nine months, and that's how much I took. It might be shorter. Maybe that's the bounds to how you figure out the time as you look at the constraints first. When does that job start? When does your money run out? Whatever the constraints are. And then you do what you can with the time you have. Yeah, I do think also that it's an investment in you. And so you can look at it through a sort of burn rate lens. But you can also say that if I invest this time and money in myself now, then I should get the returns later. Mm -hmm. And so I think that 
what that requires, though, is a different outlook on your time horizon, which if you're looking short term, yeah, it might be cash flow negative. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking over a 10 you know, year horizon, which you are, <laughs> that may wind up to be cash flow positive. So again, if you're extraordinarily fortunate to be in the position where you can take some time off, I do think it's important to note that in the end, it might be actually beneficial financially. Well, it's been so fun chatting with you and really thinking about this topic. I'm curious if you have any other books that we didn't talk about or other influencers that you want to leave people with. I've been doing a lot of reading. Like you, I've really also been focused on my own anti-racism journey. The book that I would recommend if you haven't read is Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. It's an amazing comparative discussion about Blacks in America with the untouchables in India and also Jews during World War II. Really fascinating and well-researched book that unfortunately is not very complimentary of our country's racial history. But the books that have been most helpful in thinking about my professional life is a book called Range, How Generalists mm -hmm. Triumph in a Specialized World. And the subtitle, I think, kind of says it all that we are living in a very specialized world. And I've always thought of myself as a generalist. And so that, I think, has liberated me to think that perhaps my next career move might not be precisely logical if you look back at mm -hmm. what I've done thus far. But I think it's too early to say. <laughs> That's great. Uh, you're reminding me that anti-racism has been this key part of my own journey, and I would be remiss to not share the most influential book for me on that topic, which was Me and White Supremacy by Lila Saad. It really has you unpack your own part of supremacist culture and what you can do to change that. Well, some really important books to read, a lot of great thoughts. Thanks so much for spending time with me today in this basement studio. Anytime, Marcy. <laughs> Thanks so much. There are a few things I want to highlight from this episode. First, a paradox of emotions is normal and healthy. We talked about the challenge and necessity of holding seemingly conflicting emotions. Can you feel joy and extreme sadness or anxiety at the same time? In Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown describes a paradox as the appearance of contradiction between two related components. Even though the elements seem contradictory, they actually complement and inform each other in ways that allow us to discover underlying truths about ourselves and the world. So lean into these emotions and allow yourself to feel both. Second, there are multiple ways to sabbatical. Corey and I shared vastly different approaches to our time. Corey described embracing spontaneity and luxuriating and not having a plan. While I mapped out my past and future and then charted a clear path through the present, think about what you need from the time and then prioritize those things. Finally, there is immense value in taking time, any amount of time. It is an investment in you that will yield results in your future. A recent Atlantic article that came out just after we recorded this episode describes sabbaticals as time to follow your curiosity and regret insurance, allowing you to test out a different way of living. A few quotes from the article that I just loved include, 
If sabbaticals can't fix your job, they can nurture your life outside it. They let you tend to the wilting plots of your life's garden, the parts that struggle to get enough sunlight. And one person interviewed in the article said, the difference between a vacation and a sabbatical is the difference between a power nap and a full night's sleep. So if you're thinking about taking that full night's sleep to follow your curiosity, I hope you found this episode to be helpful persuasion. And if you know someone who needs a sabbatical intervention, as Corey did, please share this episode with them. As Corey mentioned, this is the penultimate episode. We will be back in a few weeks with final concluding thoughts, the ultimate answer to how to find balance and live a happy life. I'm elbow deep in transcription and analysis at the moment and expect that there will be a few week gap before releasing that last episode. I can't wait to share with you what we find.